A few months ago, we told you about major changes to the Sens front office, mostly to do with one name. Uh, and uh, now the other shoe has dropped as a coaching change has been made in Canada's capital. On top of that, more front office changes are in play with one TSN insider, not Pierre McGuire, joining the fray. Will these changes turn Ottawa's season around, or is this more of a long-range game? Episode 393 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. First of all, season's greetings. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Festivus to the rest of us. Whatever you celebrate, happy Hanukkah. Um, We hope it was eventful. We hope it was peaceful and joyful and merry and you got to spend a lot of time with friends and family uh and we have a lot of hockey to react to since uh the last podcast we recorded was uh, middle of december so a lot has happened including more changes to the ottawa senators yay yeah It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Right, yeah. So um, it's kind of uh, it's kind of uh, funny um, whenever this happens to us, or when the Ottawa Senators make a big move that we have to cover, it, even if we weren't fans. Um, and same for the Bruins as well. But uh, so <laughs> it's it's always a, a weird thing but yes happy new year to everyone it's been because we took uh christmas off as well we didn't really tell anyone that mm-hmm. um so so yeah we're back it took us like you know it's been like 15 days approximately um yeah, roughly that so so we kind of missed a lot now that when we were covering up like oh well it's, what's the rapid fire gonna be like it's like oh right this happened a long time ago um including this story here uh, the Ottawa Senators, they fired DJ Smith um, on, it was actually December, it was so long ago, it was December 19th, um, or maybe it was December 18th. Um, it was December... Because the first game that... Uh, it was December 18th, so December yeah. 17th against Vegas was DJ's final game right, on right. the bench. And um, what I remember, so it was kind of like... So yeah, we haven't seen each other, or we haven't uh, recorded uh, since then. Um, what was kind of interesting too was, uh, well, first off, there was like, um, there was kind of rumblings before um, that night when um, when they had lost to Vegas. They were on like a four game losing streak already, um, and then uh, DJ Smith uh, tells the media that like, oh, we're just gonna have this like fun practice. Uh, where people, you know, where the team, the players can just like, you know, um, just get loose and all that stuff. And then, um, coincidentally, I, I think DJ Smith knew uh, that he was getting fired because he probably just was thinking like, oh, like, this is like my way of going out kind of thing. Um, although it would be kind of funny if this is why he got fired, where he's just like, hey, we don't like that you, you pulled off a fun practice. Um, after a four-game losing streak, but um, but in any case, uh, he pulls off the he he gets fired right after practice, basically, um, 
and uh, uh, Jocks Martin uh, takes over as interim coach. Um, Jocks Martin was hired as like an assistant advisory role for like a few weeks beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and he was also uh, a part of the, he was, I think, uh, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Martin was the first Ottawa Senators coach. Is that right? Or no. So uh, funny enough, the first ever Sens coach is still coaching the NHL. Uh, that would be Rick Bonus. Oh, really? Um, oh, I, oh, yeah, Jacques yeah, that's Martin, right. I forgot about that. Jacques Martin entered the fold in 95, 96. Uh, they had fired Bonus prior to that. Dave Allison, who took over, barely lasted half a year and they brought shock in mm. and from the late 90s to early 2000s the Sens basically enjoyed the best stretch of hockey they've ever had and martin right. was the guy behind the bench for pretty much all of it he just couldn't beat oh. the leafs right oh <laughs> that that's was right. his only okay. flaw yeah yeah so he was so okay that's a good way of putting it that he kind of brought the senators to prominence and made them yeah. into the team that they are today um or you know a part of that um in terms of like um relevancy um he's but, 71 by the way yeah i didn't believe it when i read it at first but yeah he's been on this earth for 71 years yeah and i, I also it's uh so it's been like 15 years since he's uh last coached the ottawa senators he was also actually 20 but oh was it 20 yeah, it, yeah. okay 2004 against the leafs in the first round right, 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 okay. I his final that. game yeah. Um, but he's he's coached around other teams. He went to Florida. He also right. was the head coach of uh, the 2010 Habs, who went on a run to the conference yep. finals. And he's also been an assistant coach in other places like Pittsburgh, where he won a couple of cups there recently. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, also, you have here that Daniel Alfredson steps in as an assistant coach. Um, mm-hmm. Davis Payne was uh, fired along with DJ Smith, yeah. and that created uh, the vacancy for Alfredson to step in there. Yeah, that that's kind of like an under the radar move that I didn't even realize that I th- I thought that like Alfredson would just be like retired and enjoying or like you know being even more upper management um, if he was going to take a role somewhere. But yeah, it's kind of surprising that he's an assistant coach. It could still be a possibility yeah. down the road, but uh, for for now, that's what he's doing. Um, and did he? Um, this is kind of an interesting dynamic because you know more about this situation than I do. And I'm like, usually this is my, my job. Uh, but, um, did Alfredson, was Alfredson Martin's coach at one point? I assume so, right? Yeah. So, well, Alfredson was the captain for a oh, yeah, of yeah. the time that, uh, that okay. Martin was there. Uh, Jacques Martin was the coach, by the way, when the Alexi yeah. Ashen stuff was happening and oh, it was right, just right. like, is how committed to the team is he? And that's yeah. when Daniel Alfredson kind of emerged as yeah. the guy. Um, so both, uh, needless to say, regardless of their capacities, Martinez coach, Alfie is a player. Now both of them are behind the bench trying to bring Ottawa back to what it was in the mm-hmm. golden years, so to speak. Now all they need is uh, Jason Spezza to join the... He'll be the, he'll be, uh, the assistant GM. Yeah, yeah. He can. He has to like leave uh, Kyle Dubas somehow, but yes, yeah. um, I guess that's possible. Um, kind of like just old don't boys bring in Danny come... Heatley. I don't trust him <laughs> with him either. <laughs> but he did get fifty goals that one year. Um, hey, yeah. hey, the year before he yeah. also got fifty. People yeah, forget about an, the first time. He it did. was an all star. Yeah. 
Everyone uh, says fifty-eight oh seven, fifty-eight oh seven. Yeah, yeah just bring too. bring the pizza line together. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um. Anyways, um. Uh yeah, we're getting carried away here. Uh, so the Senators, um, so they l- do lose their first two games um, after uh, after Jocks Martin takes over. Uh, but it did, you know, it was a promising like first two periods against the Arizona Coyotes. However, Arizona did um, end up uh, winning there, um, and then they lose to Colorado um, in the next game. Um, however, they did beat the Penguins. They did beat the Maple Leafs. Uh, then they lose to the Devils, but they beat the Sabers last night. We're recording this on J- January first, so um, just a fly there. So. They are uh, three and three since Jacques Martin has taken over. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's the other benefit of doing this a little bit late is that we have some uh, leeway or some sample size of how Jacques, the, how the Senators are doing now um, after a few weeks from it happening. Um, also, uh, last night, uh, Steve Steos um, is the full-time GM. He took over when Dorian left or was fired um, uh, last week um, or a couple weeks ago. Uh, so now um, it's official that Steos is the full-time GM, um, and and that's the other news there as well. Um, they also, uh, before we go on, Brent, sure. uh, not, not just Steve Steos uh, in this announcement here. So he's also going to be retaining his role as president of hockey operations. That hasn't changed. What has changed is TSN insider Dave Poulin is joining Sens Army as the team's senior vice president of hockey operations. He was in the Maple Leafs hockey operations department when Brian Burke was their GM in the uh, back half of the 2000s, early start to the 2010s. The, the, things weren't really um, sunshine and lollipops over in Toronto back then. Um, he was the, the GM of the uh, Toronto Marlies uh, during those times. Uh, Ryan Bonus, uh, previously an assistant GM under Pierre Dorian, is now an associate GM, so he's sticking around and, and is uh, in a bigger role with the front office uh, as well. Both Bonus and Poulin will be reporting to Steo, so he's basically the architect of this uh, team moving forward. Uh, for those of you who don't know Dave Poulin's background, he's a reliable two-way forward who once upon a time played for the Boston Bruins, sound familiar? Um, he was a former Flyers team captain. Uh, and before uh, joining TSN, he also coached in the NCAA. Mm. Uh, and um, over the past, I would say the better part of the past decade, he's covered the Ottawa Senators during his TSN days. So he knows just by watching oh, this team a fair bit about what this roster has, what its strengths are, and ultimately what it lacks. Interesting. Yeah, I guess he's, uh, you know, a part of the, um, a part of the, the the organization even though he covered it a few uh for mm-hmm. for a time there so yeah that's interesting um in any case um so we do have some questions like we normally do um but uh so the first one is how much was this dj smith's fault um i i mean i i think i had mentioned this last year that i thought dj smith should be fired um, and I was kind of surprised that they held on to him for so long. Um, so I had kind of, I was on the fire DJ Smith train before Steve was, 
which is funny because Steve follows the team. Um, but I maybe uh, because Brett knows what success is. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. He kind of he's the writing on the wall uh, for a, a uh, dead man walking. You know. Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think it was more. Um, yeah, maybe it's more that I'm I like you're in it and enmeshed with it. Um, and I, I just like, I have more of the outsider perspective of it. Um, However, it's interesting but, you mentioned the outsider's perspective because a lot of Sens fans had kind of written DJ Smith off and they were expecting Pierre Dorian to make a change behind the right. bench. And they were kind of shocked and some of them disappointed, uh, at the fact that DJ got another year. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of what I was thinking. Cause it's like, yeah, I, I think when I had I, I believe I mentioned this on the show uh, last year, and then you kind of had brushed it off. It's like, hey, they're not necessarily trying, but this was before the Chikrin trade. This was before there was some expectations for the team. Um, and then, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and then, yeah, it seemed like the, the Senators were off to a bad start. Um, and I don't know. I, I think there is definitely, you know, I, I think this team has there are definitely some like good parts to the team like obviously Tim Stutzla, Claude Giroux, uh, Drake Batherson and Brady Kachuk are all like great players um, and a good you know and they're all relatively young except for Claude Giroux of course but um, so they'll they'll be good for a time now and um, you know Jacob Trickren was a good ad for them and you know Jake Jake Sanderson he was uh, taking off at the beginning of the year, but now it seems like he's kind of trailed off nowadays. Um, Matthew Joseph was also good, but he's been injured lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were, that was a nice find as well. And Tarasenko hasn't been actually that bad. I'm looking here at their stats, um, mm-hmm. 22 points in 30 games. I think the bigger thing that's that's been kind of a bigger issue for them is their goaltending. Because... Uh, I had thought that Corpusalo wouldn't be this bad, but it turns out that he is. Um, and maybe there is, you know, something to that. Uh, he has an 890 save percentage, a GAA of 3.66. But uh, Anton Forsberg, who's their other goalie, uh, he hasn't been that much better. Um, he does have an eight, say, the same save percentage, 890, uh, but a GAA of 3.11. Um, so it's slightly better in terms of GAA. Um, and obviously he's, but he's also played in less games uh, than Corpusalo, so that kind of needs to be better. I haven't watched the team a ton to really know if it's like whenever there's bad goaltending. I don't know if it's because of poor defense or poor goaltending. Um, so uh, you'll probably have a better sense than I on that front, um, but. Uh, so maybe that's uh, that's the thing that really needs to improve because, like, yeah, the, Tim Stutzla and Brady Kachuk are obviously very, very good, um, and they're the cornerstones of the team. Um, but, um, and, like, you know, also, like, Thomas Shabbat, he's suffered some, in, he's had some injury history. Looking here, yes, he he's only played in 10 games uh, this year. Um, I, I knew he had some injury troubles. I didn't realize that he's he's only played in 10 games 
uh, so far this year. So maybe that's a yeah. Bigger, just came back against yeah. the Sabers. Fortunately, registered to assist. So yeah. hopefully he gets going. Yeah. So so maybe that's a bright spot for them is that they just need Thomas Shabbat to get going, um, mm-hmm. and and we'll see there. Um, but yeah, ultimately it's like um, yeah, we'll see. I I I I think um, I think it, as I had mentioned, I kind of thought that like this like DJ Smith would be fired at the very least in the summer um, of this year, but, and this was the right move to make. I don't know. The only thing that I will say is I don't know if Jock Martin will be the guy um, just because like, it kind of reminds me of the Oilers where it's like, they're, they're trying to get like the old boys back together. Like trying to hope that it's like, Oh, well this worked in the past, but 10 years ago, and uh, newsflash, hockey has changed a lot in t- uh, since he's um, since he's left um, since he was last coach there. I know that he's you know he was still involved. He was still like an assistant coach, but it's very different than being a head coach somewhere. So it's uh, uh, so it could work. Like you know the same thing happened with Bruce Cassidy, who was the coach of the Washington Capitals. He did not do so hot in Washington. Um, and then he got his shot again in uh, for Boston like 10 years later and all of a sudden he's like one of the best coaches um, in the league uh, once he's once he's in in Boston um, so um, and then of course he ends up winning the cup um, in Vegas last year so um, so it is definitely possible it's just that like the fact that Jax Martin is also 71 I don't know who else the senators could have gotten instead um so so there's something to that but i i do kind of wonder if there's like a bit of this old boys club that um might happen if if this is too successful um which i don't necessarily love um but um but yeah we'll we'll see um so far we'll, we'll see yeah i think if it's an old boys club hopefully it's a positive old boys yeah, club fair. where they have an open mind and they don't think you know that their way is the highway and the be all and end all and they're open to new ideas and trying new things i think if the basic principles of your plan are good and you're willing to to try new things um i I definitely think people are going to be more open-minded to at least give your plan a shot um and we'll talk about what the sense coaching looks like beyond this season but let's talk about what led to this point um dj smith is whether you like him or hate him is the longest tenured sense coach after jacques martin's dismissal and a lot of sense fans will probably uh preferred that he wasn't around this year and they went with the new boys um but at the timing that everything was happening with the new ownership change and all that kind of stuff heading into training camp and the sense did have a strong training camp their bottom didn't really fall out on DJ in November. It happened in December instead on a lengthy road trip. I don't really think you could have justified making a coaching change up until this point, but it was alarming in DJ Smith's final days where if they didn't turn the ship around, uh, their season was going to unravel pretty quickly. Uh, they were they had dropped six straight games, uh, getting zero of a possible 10 points during a pivotal five-game road trip that – uh, on local radio, I've been talking about for nauseam that five-game road trip, starting in St. Louis, 
then Dallas on the back half of a back-to-back, then going to Vegas, then playing Arizona, then uh, in Colorado before it finally ends over the course of a week. That trip was going to make us look at the Ottawa Senators and figure out what kind of a team they really, really were. And in the worst way possible, I was right. Uh, Because, like I said, no points uh, out of a possible 10. Not ideal at all. But it was the way they were losing those games. They had an early 2-1 to lead against Vegas. Mm -hmm. Um, The bottom fell out uh, in the second period, similar to games before that. Uh, They had a 3-0 lead to Arizona, so this was after the coaching change. And even still, they lost 4-3 to in regulation, so they get no points out of that. And after having... Uh, a handful of leads against the Colorado Avalanche, including a 4-2 to lead in the second period. Uh, Nathan McKinnon was on another level. I guess not much you could do there. And while the Sens still look better, ultimately they lost 6-4 to and once again got no points out of that. In between, you also saw a lot of poor discipline, just stupid, stupid penalties being taken in certain situations of the game where the momentum turns against them and they don't really have a response to counter it. Um, you you look at the key guys uh, sometimes not maintaining their composure. That's a bit of a problem. And it's an indication to me that these guys aren't checked out. Like, they're frustrated. They want to win. It's not an attitude problem that the Sens have. It's more of channeling that energy and, and putting it in a positive light. And I think in order to do that, they needed a coaching change and they needed more of an attention to detail and this is what i mean by that when i say that at the time of the firing ottawa was 11 15 and 0 30th out of 32 teams in the league their goals against average was negative or their goals against uh sorry let me talk uh their goal differential was negative two so 87 goals for 89 goals against that's not that's not bad uh their power play 17.8 percent middle of the pack that's not terrible their penalty kills at 72.4%. Um, if you have watched the early stages of the Ottawa Senators uh, in the early 90s, you know how bad those teams were. This penalty kill could be a franchise worst at this rate. That's how bad it has been. Um, they have averaged 32.7 shots on goal per game under DJ Smith's tenure and only 29.9 against per game. So, again, it begs the question, how are they losing these games uh, and and coming up short in those close one-goal decisions? Well, uh, the second period, for starters, 44 goals against after 26 games, three more than second-place Chicago, and that's with all the games in hand. So to be worst in that category is something else. Um, for a retrospective, Ottawa had a plus-seven goal differential in the first period, and a plus six goal differential in the final 20 minutes. So clearly the second period, uh, two goals against, three goals against, whatever the number was, it was one too many, and that was costing Ottawa valuable points. Uh, Speaking of shooting yourself in the foot, 248 giveaways over Ottawa's first 26 games, ninth highest tally in the entire NHL during that time period. So they're not managing the puck well enough. They're not protecting the puck well enough. That's uh, leading to... Um, more shots against, more high danger chances against, and that's probably what's leading to a lower save percentage on top of your very poorest penalty killing. 
Um, also, um, getting the puck back has been a problem for Ottawa in that time period, with only Montreal, Arizona, and the Los Angeles Kings uh, being the only NHL teams to record fewer takeaways than the Senators before the coaching change. Um, and this is uh, all with a lot of power play time. They had the seventh highest power play time in the league, the seventh most power play chances, yet they had the 13th fewest power play goals and the 11th worst power play percentage. And when you check and when you chalk it all up, two and four in one goal games, one and six in two goal games, uh, some of which have been one goal games until a team puts it into the empty net to salt it away uh, late in regulation. So um, that's me saying Ottawa is shooting themselves uh, is shooting themselves in the foot one too many times with poor decision making at poor times, uh, not managing uh, their emotions well enough, uh, not managing the momentum well enough. Sometimes in a 30 second span, a couple goals go in and you lose control of the game and now you're on your heels. That's not what winning teams do. It's just those little things that good teams do, like Brett, your Boston Bruins, where if you manage the puck well enough and you limit the amount of mistakes that you're making, the wins will come your way and the puck is going to bounce your way. And it hasn't bounced Ottawa's way because they're not doing the right things. They're not getting enough traffic in front. They're not making it tougher on the goalies in front to battle through those screens. Um, they're trying to maybe make one too many fancy plays when they should be just throwing the puck on net. And what I have seen from the Senators since the coaching change is a bit more of those little things. In the game against Pittsburgh in particular, there were not only two successful penalty kills, but after killing those penalties, within 10 seconds after going back to full strength, Ottawa scores a goal. And then on the OT winner uh, that Tim Stutzla scored, it all starts because Jacob Chikrin outmuscles Evgeny Malkin for the puck. He doesn't even get an assist on the play, but he does that hard work to eventually create that time and space for Brady Kachuk to make a chip play to Timmy. Timmy finds the back of the net. Ottawa wins, and they get a much-needed win going into the Christmas break. And again, it's been more of those uh, same um, qualities where they're getting depth scoring from guys like Ridley Gregg. Uh, they got a goal from Zach McEwen uh, last night. Um, he hasn't really been an offensive contributor. They got uh, some contribution from Mark Kastelik. In terms of uh, their back end, uh, Eric Brandstrom has benefited offensively since uh, DJ Smith was relieved of his duties. Uh, last night, he actually played a little bit of wing. So um, maybe maybe it's kind of a Brendan Smith experiment where they try him out at forward for a little bit. Interested to see what happens there. But he uh, had a really good game. The only defenseman who didn't get a point against that uh, game against Buffalo on New Year's Eve, Travis Hamonick. So everyone on the back end was getting involved. There was no points from Brady Kachuk in that game. There was no points from a red-hot Drake Batherson. No points from a red-hot Tim Stutzla. They were getting contributions from guys they weren't really getting contributions from. And I think getting versatility out of that offense from those role players is going to be huge for Ottawa moving forward. Mm -hmm. And even if the results don't show that Ottawa is getting better, like the fact that they gave up 46 shots against the Sabres on New Year's Eve, as long as they start to 
start doing better on the little things, protecting the puck better, and doing the winning things um, that winning teams are known for doing, eventually they're going to get to a team like the New Jersey Devils caliber where they are expected to win every night. And it's going to be easier for them to win every night because they were able to uh, learn from their failures. And I think they're doing better at learning from those failures in real time as opposed to the next day. I think part of this was on DJ Smith for not adapting enough. At the same time, though, this was his first NHL coaching gig as a head coach. And he was, I think, learning from the players as the players were learning through these tough times. Like everyone was learning together. When you have a guy like Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson who have been there, who have done that, who know what to say at this exact moment when you've lost five in a row, um, who know how to keep everyone in check when things are going great and it seems like nobody can touch you on this planet. It's having that right balance of hockey minds that know exactly what to say and exactly what to do in various situations. And I think that experience is uh, going to take Ottawa far. One final thing before I throw it to you, Brett, and I know I've been rambling and I apologize <laughs> and I thank you for allowing me to ramble. Um, I don't think Jacques Martin would be the guy I bring back as coach moving forward because there are going to be guys on expiring contracts, guys that are probably out of NHL jobs because similar yep. to DJ, they've been fired um, at the end of this season. And I think Ottawa owes it to themselves to kind of look at the team that they have, the pieces that they have, and who would be the best guy for that. And there are going to be a lot of names like Craig Brube and Dean Evison that have entered the market that could be available for Ottawa to choose from, even some others. But the one guy I think Ottawa should really, really target is a guy on an expiring contract in Carolina who has coached the Hurricanes to a lot of success recently. Rod Brindamore needs huh? a new contract after this year is done. And I think oh, if the price is right... Ottawa can poach him. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, I guess one can dream. Um, I feel like I'm in the similar boat as a Patriots fan where I'm like, oh, I wonder who <laughs> our next coach will be. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, we're on the same boat from that perspective where I don't know if Jock Martin is going to be the guy. Um, yeah, our next question here is – whoops um, – Apologies if you heard that. Um, my mic just fell. Um, but Jock Martin, uh, uh, yeah, so our next question here was, um, can the Senators turn this around? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the standings here. They're, uh, they're in last place in the Atlantic Division, um, although they do have 32 games played, and everyone else in the division has at least 36, um, which is or sorry, at least 34, I guess the Maple Leafs have 34. Um, and even like, you know, the Detroit Red Wings have 37 games played. The Tampa Lightning, 38 games yeah, played so, already and they're fourth right now. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to have that many games in hand, um, for, even like four games in hand. So I, I guess it is possible that they could turn this around and like, you know, Minnesota, Edmonton, especially in St. Louis have all, um, improved a lot since their head coaching have you know since they fired their head coach so there is something to the fact of like firing your head coach and 
improving, but um, Edmonton still has to like bite and claw to make it to the playoffs. Um, Blues and the Wild are still like um, f- uh, sixth and seventh in their division. Um, Edmonton's fourth, and they'll, they'll probably make it to the playoffs now. It seems like they found a groove. Um, I don't think this is going to happen for Ottawa, uh, but I guess it's possible um, because it's like, I mean, it's funny because we also thought that, like Buffalo was going to make a jump this year as well, and it looks yep. like that hasn't happened, so maybe Don Granado uh, will get fired too. I don't think... I don't think Don Granado's the problem there, but I'm getting sidetracked here. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I I think they're they've hit too much of a hole to truly make the playoffs this year. But yeah, they could. Um, you know, I I think there is something to what you were talking about of like you know bringing back what made the Ottawa Senators so successful and bringing back that old coach, bringing back Alfredson into the mix. Uh, so that you have some of his wis- uh, some of their wisdom back into the locker room uh, that they lost for so many years. So there might be something to that. Um, I don't know if it's going to work, though. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Um, and then there's also the element of, um, yeah, you, there was one coach that I thought you were going to mention, but you haven't. I wonder if Bruce Boudreaux um, might be a good fit here. Um, we'll see, yeah. although... Bruce Boudreaux is more known for kickstarting an offense and not so much about defense. So I don't know if that necessarily is the right coach either because uh, it's clear that the defense is more of the issue uh, than the offense for Ottawa right now. But, yeah, we'll see. So there are two teams that have given me hope that the Sens can turn around relatively quickly. Uh, both are in the Western Conference, and both are – Uh, at the top of the Western Conference right now, when I think a lot of people didn't really expect them to be there. Uh, That would be the Winnipeg Jets, Mm -hmm. who are 22-9-4 at the time of this recording, one point back of the mighty Colorado Avalanche for first in the Central Division with two games in hand, I might add. Uh, The Dallas Stars are right behind them. But again, they're in that top three conversation. I think a lot of people would have expected them to be in the bottom 16 teams in the league uh, fighting for a draft lottery pick. Uh, and then you have the Vancouver Canucks who are tied with Vegas for first in their division. How the hell did that happen right. so fast when you consider all of the bad vibes in that locker room this time last year and the way it ended with Bruce Boudreaux and all of a sudden they've turned it around. And I think the easiest thing that has happened is um, they've gotten everyone <clears throat> on the same page and everyone is pulling the rope in the same direction and everyone is executing on their vision, and they also have a healthy Thatcher Demko who's been dominant this year. That also helps. But the point is, uh, those are teams that are starting to do the little things well, and it's working out for them. Um, You have feel-good stories like uh, Brock Besser uh, in the mix, uh, too, with Vancouver, which is fun to see. Um, So that being said, I think the Sens can be that team if they are able to turn those uh, lessons, those failures, into positive experiences moving forward. And I think it could be a situation where Ottawa, again, probably falls short, but they're starting to get that winning formula in place, and they start to chart up the standings uh, a little bit, and they're giving teams... 
food for thought uh, in terms of next year. Just wait till next year. Um, and I think once you get the new regime's plan in there, you get an offseason, you get an idea mm. of what this team is going in in terms of uh, the pieces in play. If I'm the Sens, I probably look at trading Tarasenko and Kubelik for futures, as, just mostly because I don't know what future the Sens and Tarasenko have beyond this year, and he's got pretty good numbers. He could be very useful to a contender, and I think Ottawa could stand to, you know, maybe get like uh, a late first-round pick or yeah. early second-round pick for his services this year. So I think if the chance is there, you take advantage for this one time, hopefully, that uh, you're going to have good picks in this draft because beyond this year, I expect them to rack up the wins again. Um, so that being said, I think short-term, they focus on trading guys for futures that aren't going to be here beyond this year. You have Jake Sanderson committed. I think there's a realistic chance if you get a strong second half, Jacob Chikrin is willing to sign uh, on a multi-year deal to stay in Ottawa. Um, beyond this year, he'll have a year left on his deal before he becomes potentially a free agent in 2025 and with the uh with the family vibes that he has here i definitely think it will be easier to convince him to stay in ottawa as opposed to you know a team like arizona would um so i think ottawa has that going for them i think giving guys like ridley greg and shane pinto when he's ready to come back um opportunities to excel in bigger roles is going to be huge because you want to know uh, what you have in those guys because maybe one of those guys mm. can be that missing piece that you need and you don't have to go into the free agent market to get that so-called missing piece that you think you need um at the same time though i definitely think ottawa can use the cap space uh left behind by kubelik and tarasenko to go out and get a big fish uh, a missing ingredient for that uh for for the team that they have moving forward and with the cap going up it's going to be easier to afford that name okay. uh, for whatever reason i feel like elias lindholm would be a good fit for the sends a guy that can give you some goal scoring but is also um a reliably defensive uh two-way forward um i i know they have um ideas of what would be good at center but in my opinion i really don't give a damn how many centermen they have how many good centermen they have yeah. if you have to move one of them to a wing oh well that that's a great problem to have so i i think beyond this year the future is bright and there's a lot to look forward to but if i'm just looking at the standings right now the um outside of columbus the lowest ranked team in the metro is pittsburgh and they're 18 13 and 4 uh 7 2 and 1 mm -hmm. in their last 10 and with 40 points they are 12 points clear of the sends um, and they only are three games ahead of Ottawa. So that's a lot of ground for the Sens to catch up in terms of if they want to catch up to someone in the division, um, you have Tampa and Toronto tied up 41 points. Both have had their fair share of problems, but I mean, both have been regular contenders in the playoffs. Uh, both of them are probably bound to figure it out. I definitely think they can catch Buffalo uh, I think they can catch Montreal as well. They're starting to fall off a bit. Detroit, same thing. But are they going to be able to catch up enough to get one of those two wildcard spots? Uh, that's that's a tall order at this point. But after yeah. the Hamburglar run in 2015, I'm not ruling anything out. I believe in miracles. 
I just don't expect the world from this team at this moment. It's going to be a lot of hard work, and I think uh, too much work yeah. uh, for them to turn around this year. But I think moving forward, um, that that's that's the bigger goal. Uh, if yeah. they're able to to win now, to win beyond this year, I think that's the important thing. Yeah. And just the process of getting to there. Yeah, that's a fair point. And in terms of like long term, I think they are in good shape, especially when their two best players are still pretty young and. Tim Stutzla yeah. and um, Brady Kachuk. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a fair point in terms of, like, yeah, I guess you can, like, look to the Canucks. You can look at the Winnipeg Jets right now and be like, oh, we could be that team. But the thing is, is, like, uh, Rick Tockett was hired <clears throat> at the end of last year. Uh, clearly, he was able to ingratiate himself even further in the offseason and, um and you know, turn the ship around in Vancouver, and same can be said for Rick Bonus because he was hired last year. Um, I was just looking this up because I thought he was like I thought they had fired their coach last year, but I guess the, he was hired in 2022 in the summer, um, and then um, and yeah, so he you know Rick Bonus is obviously a good coach as well. So um, so it will take some time because you know Winnipeg and Vancouver have been the surprises of the uh, season so far, um, but um, but they, you know, they didn't even hire their coach. Like, you know, it took some time before uh, things actually gelled to the way that they are right now. Um, and yeah, I, th I think there is something to that of, um, yeah, just like, you know, almost not necessarily giving up on the season, but seeing what you have in these young guys and also trading the rentals that you would have who won't be a big part of your team going forward but you could get some some valid return um in its stead uh whatever it is so yeah i guess it doesn't make sense to trade tarasenko even though he has been pretty good for uh ottawa right now um okay so now I just, all i ask is is the sens are trying every night and if they're losing yeah. it's it's they're losing uh, not because of Poor efforts like they're doing yeah, everything yeah. they can it's just not bouncing their way yeah uh, the last thing i want to see is shortcuts you can't shortcut your way to wins Fair. it's it, you're gonna get burned every time you do that i was also surprised that um or when i saw that like oh ottawa beat toronto like even though it's like oh it's like you know toronto's a good team and i was Dude, just all like, the bottom yeah. feeders beat toronto to i know, be I know. that's <laughs> it's true it's been a common yeah. theme for a few years that now. that is uh I, toronto's uh it's, it's a rare it's a rare talent that i cannot explain yeah. so like they lost to columbus 6-5 in overtime yeah. again yeah the second time that's happened this year yep um anyways um uh okay so we'll we'll get into our rapid fire uh, before we start, though, I, we, I should mention that uh, two things. One, the Winter Classic is happening right now, um, or mm -hmm. as you as you hear this, it uh, has already happened. Um, I don't. I was just looking at Twitter while you were rambling, Steve. Um, the Vegas Golden Knights were play, uh, came out as uh, Elvis impersonators. It's pretty funny, and. <laughs> Uh, the Seattle guys uh, came out as fishermen, um, so very. So both of them came out very relevant to what they, uh, you know, their city and all that stuff. So I, I kind of got, got a kick out of that. That was kind of funny. But we'll talk about the Winter Classic next week um, in our Seattle's rapid fire. Seattle's uniform, probably. by the way, ten out of ten. 
definitely buy. Like, yeah, I don't like Vegas's uniforms. That's yeah, true. yeah, they're kind of ugly. It's, it's all right, but I wouldn't yeah. buy it. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't think I would buy either one. But yeah, it is kind of weird to do like retro uniforms for either one because it's like we know that they just started as a franchise. Uh, so that part's kind of cool that it's like, oh, they get an outdoor game. These two, like, the new t- new teams get a winter classic. It's kind of fun from that angle, but at the same time, I'm just like, oh, like, I'm sure there's, like, Minnesota, for instance, probably has been dying for a, a winter classic, and they haven't gotten it in. Like, meanwhile, Seattle, who just joined two, two years ago, gets one. So it's, it's a little strange from that perspective, but... In any case, um, and then the other thing, World Juniors, they've happened, um, and the I think the, the championships tomorrow, um, or starts tomorrow, um, so... Yeah, the knockout round uh, yeah. starts on January 2nd, so yeah. by the time I talk next, it'll be pretty much close right, to right. done. At that so, point. yeah. They held it, by the way, in Daniel Alfredson country, Gothenburg, Sweden. Yeah, well, yeah, so... Um, so yeah, we'll we'll talk about that next week in our rapid fire probably as well. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so now our rapid fire officially starts. Um, Fifteen minute on the clock here. So the big news here, uh, we have a lot to catch up on, but Ilya Samsonov and Eric Comrie were both placed on waivers right now. Um, we're recording this at one p.m. Eastern time. Usually we find out if they were claimed or not claimed. Um, like around 2 p.m. Uh, so we don't know if anyone has claimed either one. I would be surprised if either one um, gets claimed, uh, mostly because both of them haven't been that great. And also, especially for Samsonov's case, it's kind of expensive. So I don't know um, if a team would actually do that. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what goes on. It was a little strange that Buffalo had three goalies um, – on their pro roster to begin with. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what, what goes on, but it was kind of surprising that Samsonov was put on waivers because he has been kind of like, you know, he, he was a decent goaltender last year. Um, but now it seems like something's going on to like the Jack Campbell effect. Um, and yeah, so they're both put on waivers and I would assume they're going to pass. Yeah. Um, if you're an NHL GM, uh, do not be tempted to pick either of these guys up because up until this point, they have done nobody no favors. Eric Comrie is 1-5-0, and oh, and I think we talked about this when um, Antti Ranta was put on waivers, um, mm-hmm. but his numbers were pretty horrid. Uh, Eric Comrie, 4.01 GAA, 863 save percentage over seven games. Um, yep. That's not good at all. Ilya Samsonov on the yep. other hand, is somehow 5-2-6. and six. So the Leafs are getting at least an overtime loss in a good chunk of the starts, which is incredible because he has a 3.94 GAA, yep. which, if he didn't have a shutout this year, would be even worse. An 8.62 save percentage, again, without that shutout, it would be much right. lower than 8.62. Eric Comrie has the fourth-worst save percentage in the NHL. Ilya Samsonov has the third-worst save percentage in the NHL. And on top of all that, Joseph Wool, who is injured, 
is still not ready to return, mm -hmm. which means they are willingly sending Ilya Samsonov down to the AHL when they know full well that Joseph Wall isn't going to be ready to save the day, and their best option is, I went to the Stanley Cup Finals once, Martin Jones. Yep. That is how unusable Ilya Samsonov is today, ladies and gentlemen, and for cap reasons and roster reasons, they really had no other choice. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is kind of crazy too. Just even like the fact that, as you're mentioning, he has one shutout already, and uh, <laughs> and and it would be even worse. Um, they did. He's a winning record yeah. despite all of that. He's five yeah. two and six on the year. Dennis, um, but in good news, Dennis Hildeby, who's been actually pretty good in the AHL, he's called up. Um, so so we'll see how they they uh, how he is um, when he's called up too. To put, um, to put into perspective how uh, Leaf-centric Google is, I just typed in Dennis, and immediately his last name is one of the first that pops That's up. Funny. I just typed Dennis That's into the funny. chat. In case you are wondering, ladies and gentlemen, he has yet to play an NHL game. Yeah, but, I mean, he, he I, I have him in one of my fantasy leagues, and he's, um, he's doing pretty well in the AHL, so... Um, yeah, just looking at his yeah. numbers, they're pretty respectable. The winning yeah. record isn't as good as people thought no. but the ga and the save percentage are exactly where you yeah. want it to be also a draft pick in 2022 so yep. not surprised that he hasn't played an nhl game right right, right yeah it has a 919 save percentage and a 220 gaa so Pretty um, in, good, 15, in 15 games for the marley's um although yeah so um yeah there's that um but yeah we'll see how it how it goes there um Okay, the uh, the other news we have here, uh, Chris Letang, uh, he played the Penguins played the Islanders on um, I guess this was uh, this was before. Uh, I think it was, was just December after 20th. Christmas. Yep. Uh, Pittsburgh won that game seven December, to nothing. By the way, December twenty seventh. Uh, he yeah. had six. He had six assists in in the game. However, he had five assists in a period. Um, so there's a few. Uh, records that he broke last uh, on, in that game alone. He's the first defenseman in NHL history with five assists in a period. He's the first player in NHL history to record six assists in under 30 minutes. Nine, he did it in 19 minutes and 33 seconds. And the first player in Penguins history with five assists in a period, which is impressive considering this is a, a franchise that has Mario Lemieux, Yamir Yager, Sidney Crosby, and Evgeny Malcolm in their franchise. Uh, so, also had Paul Coffey on and the Paul back Coffey, end yeah. too. So, uh, so it, it's a, it's impressive that he like it's the first uh, pen, in Penguins history, given their history. Um, also and, on top of that, yeah. those five assists in a period, he did it in just under seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. And well, that's none what of I them said. were power play points either. Yeah. The Penguins did not score a power play goal in this game. Yeah. That's all even strength. That yeah, got in that game. and I know that he wasn't shooting against um, any of these goals, um, and obviously that you know assists are still impressive. But the fact that he um, like Ilya Sorokin, he's a very good goaltender. It's like the fact that he's even able to get like one assist, like one uh, is is impressive against Sorokin. Um, so um, so it's it's not like you know he's. He was doing this against a Martin Jones or, um, you know, a team that's that's terrible. It's or like a goaltender that's terrible. It's it's impressive that he was doing that too. 
also the fact that he has 20 uh, it's not like chris letang is doing so hot even without this game um he had so he now has 23 points in 35 games i did the math that's he had 25 percent of his points in that one game um which is incredible uh so yeah this you know the penguins are kind of doing okay now um or they they are slowly coming back to life um so i do wonder if maybe there is something going on and like this is all without eric carlson doing anything um they are still seventh place in their division um but yeah obviously like this this uh this one game is pretty crazy for chris letang yeah, I mean, given the fact again, he's had two strokes in yep. his career. Right. That's and true. he's and he's doing this like it's it good for him. Yep. Like super super happy for Chris Letang. Uh, hopefully a penguin for life and I I definitely think he can make the argument that yep. he could retire as number 58 when it's all said and done. Yeah. He's been just uh the heart and soul of their back end for for many many years. At the very least like put him in the ring of honor or something yep. like give him a section of the arena to just like put up just like put his face all over a wall or something mm -hmm. like um he's he's definitely done a lot for the organization on and off the ice and, and just yep. the way he goes about everything is is pretty remarkable but i <laughs> the, the fact that he's doing this in, in his late 30s is is, yep. is pretty astounding um and yeah i mean five I, i'm curious how many of those assists were primary assists and how many yeah. of them were secondary oh, I, just, I don't know where you can find that stat but i'm sure it exists somewhere i just went off that uh box score so <laughs> let me okay um but uh yeah i'm sure i can get that to you um in a second yeah uh, either way six assists yeah in a game five assists in a period it's all impressive let's see here so he had uh two of them three of them were uh, primary assists, um, and three of them were, yeah, so three were primary, three were secondary, um, and the one in the third period uh, was a primary. So I guess if you're counting just the five assists. So that, so that would be two primary, three secondary yeah. in that one period. Okay. Right, right. That's but still he, pretty good. But the one he had in the third period was a primary, so it's like three and three, yeah. basically. Um, three and three in the game. Yeah, uh, so but that was a good segue that though because Mark Andre Fleury he's probably gonna get at least a Ring of Honor in the Pittsburgh Penguins um, franchise. Yeah. There was also a little bit of a controversy because uh, the Minnesota Wild were playing the Penguins and uh, Fleury didn't start that game, and there was a bit of a thing for that for some reason. Um, but in any case, Fleury uh, reaches his a thousandth NHL game. Um, he's the fourth goalie all time to achieve this feat. Um, yeah, it's impressive. He's, he's definitely making it into the hall of fame. Um, and yeah, he, you know, he deserves it. Um, and, um, and yeah, it, it was, uh, it's a, I didn't realize that the fourth goal, he's the fourth goalie to ever do that. I guess that makes sense. Cause I thought there would be a lot more for some reason, but, um, for someone who I guess like goaltenders, they kind of start late. Um, and then they, and they you know, and then if they really stink, they um, are either going to the AHL or they retire or they're due to injuries. So I guess it does check out um, that he's the fourth goaltender all the time. And all the more to realize how, how good he is, that it takes a lot to actually be a capable NHL goalie. 
um, even if like he's not as good as he used to be. What's remarkable is that Marc-Andre Fleury um, has played 60-plus games in a season eight times in his career, uh, a number that I'm, uh, some people today would say is too high for a goalie to be playing that many games in a season. He's done that eight times in his mm -hmm. career. So starting early, um, like in your late teens, going uh, towards your 40s mm -hmm. and playing a lot of hockey and being at that caliber for so long is, is just a tough task for any goalie to do. That's just how rare playing a thousand games in the NHL is for a goaltender. And the fact that he joins a short list of three names on that list, one of which includes Martin Brodeur, another Roberto Luongo. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can make Hall of Fame conversations out of that. Mm -hmm. Not saying he's going to get in right away, but definitely a Hall of Fame conversation to be had there. I'd probably put him in the Hall of Fame right away. I, I think he's earned that. Um, but I think it might take a couple of ballots, but I can definitely see him getting in the Hall of Fame, no question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd have to look at his stats, but I, I think he definitely has the credentials. Um, yeah, definitely so, has the wins. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that'll definitely get you in. Right, right, right. Um, Connor Bedard and Trevor Zegris do the Michigan on the same night. Uh, Connor, yeah. uh, Connor Bedard, uh, yeah, that was probably the s slickest move I think I've ever seen. It's incredible that this guy's like an 18-year-old, um, mm -hmm. and he, it looks like he's like a 20-year pro, basically, and he's the only good player on Chicago. Like, I knew he was going to be good. I just didn't know he was going to be this good right away. It's, it's incredible watching him play every night because it seems like he gets a goal every single night and we thought that it was like oh taylor hall is going to help him Corey perry is going to help him even like lucas reichel uh no well, lucas reichel's struggling taylor hall has been injured uh cory perry is uh gone due to uh rehab instances or off ice issues and Connor bedard's the only good player on chicago he's scoring every night it doesn't matter um, it's just incredible that what he's doing. Um, and then uh, Trevor Zegris uh, was his return uh, to the NHL, and he comes back. He does the Michigan as well on the same night. Um, it wasn't as talked about as the Connor Bedard, and I, I guess I can understand why, but I found that goal to be even more impressive than what Connor Bedard did, but uh, both were also incredible too. I wonder if this is going to be a start of something where – all these like players are going to start doing the Michigan now because uh, there's nothing that goalies can do really. Um, but maybe like what what's going to happen is defensemen are going to have to like go behind the goal just so that this, this doesn't happen anymore. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, or, you know, it's kind of crazy because I, I wonder if the NHL is going to step in, but, I guess it's like the fun police is gonna has to step in, um, and I don't want that to happen. This, this, they better not step in because yeah. if you're a league that's struggling to yeah. make yourselves known, like this is this is the way yep. to do it. Yep. Uh, stuff that doesn't really happen, and for one guy to do it in a season is incredible, or in a ten year period is incredible. Two on the same night is ridiculous, and for Connor Bedard. 15 goals in 36 games as a rookie, one power play goal. Yep. He's been the heartbeat of the Hawks offense, and everyone knows it. Forget the plus minus. Chicago's a bad team. 
this kid's a rookie. He's going to to learn various assets of the game as he goes along, but already he's exceeding all expectations, I think. Yep. Uh, last thing, I think we're running out of time slowly, uh, but Devin Tays, yeah. he uh, calls out some of his teammates um, uh, after a, a, a bad loss for Colorado. Um, and, Against Chicago, oddly yeah. enough. Right, right, fair. Yeah, that would have been a good segue for me. Um, but yeah, the um, you have it here that the Avs have gone five zero and one since Devin Tays has called out the team. So I guess it worked. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like there was there was also like a moment where Miko ranted in. Um, of course, okay. Well, we'll just end this topic here before the timer happens here. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah uh, basically a Finnish reporter that's related yeah. to one of Miko Rantanen's teammates yep. called out Miko Rantanen, and he didn't really like it that yep. much. Uh, the Avalanche have, have faced some middle-tier teams coming up. They have the Stars, Panthers, Bruins, Golden Knights, and Maple Leafs. Um, so that five-game stretch, we'll see if the Avs are really back. But, yeah, all has been looking good so mm. far. If you want the full Devin Tays quote, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Uh, even more jaw-dropping once you hear the audio instead of reading it. It's, it's one of the damnedest things I've seen. But I think it's mostly because the ads are capable of so much better, and they know that. And if it was a team that was just trying to make the playoffs, I think it would be a bigger story. Because it's the ads and the fact they've recently won a cup and they expect so much more out of each other, I, I think it's been one of those things that was a, to a big topic of conversation for a couple of days. And since then, everyone's just kind of like forgotten about it. But yeah, yeah, I just wanted to throw it out there because it was just a real what the hell yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. Like we don't see so much transparency in one clip. But yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, that about does it here for us on Lace Them Up. You can uh, follow us on Lace Up Twitter, on Lace Them Up, Lace Up what is it? It's it's uh why am at, I blanking? at late it's at lace em podcast on Twitter. That's right. Uh, I've said this so many times and I, <laughs> I got tripped up there. Um and um and you can also uh, subscribe to us on wherever else you oh no it's lace em podcast right um our yeah. our uh, you know our Facebook our iTunes um, Spotify wherever else you get your um get your podcast um that's about it i'm brett duboff i'm steve elson we'll try again episode 394 of the lace my podcast